Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Travel Tales Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Siegel. Thank you so much for listening. My guest today is Alex Robinson. But before I get to the interview, let's take care of some business, shall we? And that means the website. Go to TravelTalesPodcast.com and check out the videos, the photos, the destinations, the articles, the guests, blah, 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 blah. And there you'll find links to all our social media. And by that, of course, I mean Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook. Follow us on Facebook, will you? Just give us a like. That'd be kind of cool. Um, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, Stitcher Radio, and iTunes. And if you're going to go to iTunes, please, well, first of all, subscribe. Cost you nothing. Be good to have more subscribers. And uh, if you like the show, why not give us a good rating? That helps people find the show. It boosts our presence and uh, moves us up on the list of travel podcasts. And that would be a great thing. We recorded this episode on the balcony of my hotel room in Croatia, just outside of Dubrovnik, and there's people drunkenly singing in the background. Pay it no mind. Just enjoy the conversation I had with the very charming and interesting Alex Robinson. Taking nothing but his daddy's old phone with a knife, he traded but a little for the way we're like. A faint heart never won fair hand, so says the road. Welcome to the Travel Tales Podcast. I'm here with Alex Robinson, author, photographer. Did I forget anything else? What uh, else? I do broadcast stuff as well. I do whatever oh. I can to earn a living, basically. You got those nice set of pipes. Have you done any voiceover work? Multimedia stuff. I've never I've never done any voiceover work, <laughs> nor have I been asked to. So. <laughs> so you've written a number of travel books. Travel books for Footprint Books. Footprint Books. Who, uh, company, actually a U.S. company, but All right. they're kind of owned by a big U.S. company called Globe Pequot, but it's based in the U.K., so I've done stuff for them and a few others, you know. So this is, these are travel guides, like in the vein of uh, Lonely Planet, that kind of thing. Yeah, they're kind of a little bit more—I don't know—high end. A little bit more high end, a little okay. bit more literary. You have more freedom to express yourself as you'd like with Footprint. Lonely Planet's kind of compressed into a formula. You've got to write in the style that they want and the kind of things that they like. So it's okay. a bit different. But I do a lot of magazine stuff as well. I work in TV. I do, I do, as I say, I do what I can to make a living, but kind of a media person. Right. A creative person who who, who tries to, to live the life he wants, traveling around <laughs> the world and, and, and a crust doing it. Yeah. I should set the tone of where we're at here. We are at uh, on a balcony overlooking the Adriatic, just south of uh, Dubrovnik, and we uh, just spent the last uh, week or so together. You came late to the party. I came late. To the you party. came late to the party, but we have been touring uh, on the Discover Croatia. Well, I guess it would be Legends of Croatia tour. And as we speak, there's lightning flickering. There is lightning. And a thunderstorm possibly approaching. So we are warning you if uh, if we have to break this at some point, uh, this is because we're uh, getting going to get. Well, you can't imagine a more a more, a more gorgeous setting. It is gorgeous. There's people singing in the background. That's what that noise is. Drunken English. Is that what it is? Drug you find them everywhere, unfortunately. Is that, oh, is it English people? Pro- probably. <laughs> <laughs> um, so how does a, a man from Essex, England... Sussex. Sussex, I'm sorry. That's right. David Beckham's from Essex. I'm going to act like I know the difference. I'm from Sussex. It's like I the don't. difference between uh, Hugh Grant and David Beckham. Oh, Not that that okay. will mean anything to an American. <laughs> and Britons who hear it will just be offended. Right, so, right, right. You lived in uh, Brazil for a long time. I lived in Brazil for four years. I'm and married to a Brazilian. Right. Brazilian son. Tell us about your journey from growing up in England to becoming an international travel writer. 
Well, I grew up in a kind of weird environment. I went to a private school. I was uh, educated and beaten by right. Benedictine monks. Wow. And it was a that's very kind of education. <laughs> that kind of that kind of old-fashioned <laughs> education. You know, ah, old to, school. I like it. Forced to play rugby in shorts in the snow because it would toughen you up and of make course. a man of you for the empire. No, it was <laughs> it was a very conservative and constrained environment. But, and I guess it really makes or breaks you, uh, and it did both to me, but eventually it made me, because it made me realise that actually life is about being a human being rather than a human doing, and I was just determined to get out there and see the world and meet people and enjoy being alive. And if I could do something which was of any benefit to other people along the way, then that would be fantastic too. So I guess it was that. Um, I started off by... I left school... And I did a weird subject at, at university. I studied divinity, and not because I wanted to be a priest, just because I thought, wow, these are questions which I, th- which I think are interesting. And then, while doing that, I ended up travelling. And initially, I was I was going to go with, with with my best friend from school, but uh, my best friend from school bottled out at the last minute, so I ended up going to India, southern India, to teach trainee nuns English. Uh, at the age of 17 and a half, all a on my own, and really? I was quivering. Yeah. 17 and a half. So you just finished your, I guess, our equivalent of high school. I finished probably. equivalent of high school. And uh, so now this was a, a gap year? As it they was say? a gap year. I knew nothing about the world. Okay. I knew nothing about Southern India. Southern India is pretty hardcore. I mean, it was you, didn't, you didn't dive in. You didn't like, hey, I'm going to go to Amsterdam. This was like... No, heavy duty this stuff. was heavy duty stuff. So I got into Bombay, and then I had to take a train for forty-eight hours. I mean, there was no, there were no flights to speak of within India at that time. No so we're talking like eighties, mid eighties, or something. Yeah, it was. It was the nineteen eighties, early nineteen eighties, mm-hmm. in fact. So I took this train across country, and I was the only non-Indian on the train, and I was literally in a carriage where people were staring at me without blinking for eight hours without a break. Like, what the hell is this thing in front of us? And that was my kind of baptism of fire. But it was also amazing. I remember being in a village in southern India, and this white guy was walking through this village, and it was literally the first time they had ever seen a white guy, let alone a kind of white public schoolboy from England who's okay. <laughs> oh, terribly nice to meet you. Oh, thank you very much. And, and these guys just... A bit of the old empire me. coming back. A bit of the old empire. Well, I was clueless about that as well. There were some Indians who really... They, they looked at me like I was some, something on the bottom of their shoe right. and called me a Britisher. And I thought, well, you know, it wasn't me. You know? Well, did you pick <laughs> India or was it picked for you? I mean... It was a bit of both. When I was at school, there was um, next to our monastic boarding school there was a convent and the nuns of that convent most of them were from india uh, so there was an opportunity i had through that to go to india and so i thought okay i'll go to india well uh, india that's kind of asia isn't it you know i knew nothing <laughs> and so i did it and um three it months? was astonishing astonishing three months wow so I, I taught english for a month and then i just got on a train and wandered around the country on my own and how then, ill did you get how sick did well, you get well let me to put stomach? it this way Indian toilets, <laughs> Indian toilets. In the, the Indian toilet in the room that I was in, in the convent where I was teaching, it was just a seat stapled to the wall with a hole beneath it and a gap between. I got dysentery. Oh. Now, wait a I minute, foolishly a seat, sat on I'm the seat. To, I'm trying to picture. Wait a minute, a seat stapled 
to a wall. So the, the it's seed 90 is 90 degrees. It's up. no, it's just stapled to the wall. The, seed, the seed's in the wall, okay? And then you can imagine there's a big gap and then just a hole in the floor. Okay. So basically, it just falls from the seed through midair with no bowl or anything and into you're the, the hole. First floor, and it's in a hole. It's in, well, no, I'm sitting. It's like a chair. If you're yeah, a but chair, you're, you're you're on the ground level. I'm, I mean, on, I'm, I'm no, I'm, you're I'm, not I'm, up. No, I'm not up. But okay, it's, it's like a toilet seat, a toilet with no bowl. Gotcha. It's just, just going a seat right into stapled a to the wall and a hole. It's like so an there's outhouse. air like a, in between. Uh, it's an outhouse. It's a it's an outhouse. Ported, ported I, I, I was sitting down there and with dysentery, and it just went everywhere. All oh. over the place. And that was what like three nightmare. or four days. Welcome it to was India. Awful. Welcome to India. Well, that was so, awful. And, and everybody gets really ill the first time they yeah, go. Yeah, I, I got oh, ill. What was, your, was this your first time out of the country, really? I mean, really? It was the first time I'd been out of the country on my own. So your, your family wasn't a big traveling... No, not really, country. not at all. I mean, I've been to Mallorca, as they call it, Mallorca, yeah. I, you know, and, and Spain. And, well, that's out of the country. Spain. Out of the country, I, but not, not, not out but of the comfort is. zone. Not no, out of no, the comfort okay. zone. India was another thing entirely. That's completely out of everyone's comfort zone. You really dove in feet first. I dove in feet first. So, but this didn't turn you off of traveling. It just no, made you... it was amazing. It was amazing. It made me just open my eyes to the possibility that there was another way of looking at the world other than my own. And that's really the story of travel for me. Yeah, it's showing the world from other people's perspectives and trying trying to be in their shoes a little bit. So, how do you go from that to uh, travel journalism and and writing books? Well. I went to university, and then I did a master's. And when I was doing a master's, I worked on the student paper, a paper called Varsity, and I ended up as the editor of the graduate version of that paper. And I, I loved writing. So, you know, I got to the end of my MPhil course. I was trying to prolong the academic thing for as long as I could, because in the UK, at that point, the government paid for you to be a student. So... You know, I wasn't just bumming around. I found it really, really interesting. And I had the opportunity to go to a great university, University of Cambridge. So I thought, why the hell not? Everybody talks about this place. So I, <laughs> I, I, finished, I finished the course and thought, what the hell am I going to do now? I don't want to be, you know, measuring out my life in coffee spoons. I cannot go into an office every day. I just can't do it. It seems like the death now. I, I've got to find something where I feel that I'm living and not just doing. So... I tried for TV, so I ended up working in current affairs and documentary television programs for five years. It, stuff like you know, for, for Americans, Discovery Channel, The oh, Learning yeah, Channel, yeah. BBC, Channel 4. So it was really good stuff, but I got a bit, a bit annoyed, annoyed by, by the, the level of self-importance that there is in British television. There was well, a comp- or American television, I can tell you. Well, I can't much. speak for American television. But <laughs> well, I can, yeah, and uh, yeah. Yeah, it's everywhere. There was a conversation we overheard in the corridor in the BBC once, and it was like, oh, I'm really glad that I've got a job on this documentary. It's not just the best documentary series in London, it's the best documentary series in the country. And then this producer piped in and said, no, it's not the best documentary series in the country, it's the best documentary series in the world. And I'd recently been to Colombia at that time. And in Colombia, I had this conversation with this guy, a very nice guy. And he said, where are you from? And he said, what are you doing? And I said, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm working in TV in, 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 in England. He said, oh, okay, in England. So whereabouts? I said, in London. And he said, where's London? I said, well, yeah, it's kind of in England. In, yeah. Where's England? Oh, it's near Germany. <laughs> oh, okay, it's near Germany. I mean, half the world had never even heard of my right. country. And these people were going on about how important TV in Britain was. So 
Hard to take seriously, really. Well, how does it go from... I was in television, and then a friend of mine, who an old friend of mine, said, look, I've just got a job editing for The Rough Guides. Do you want to do The Rough Guide to Mexico? It was the update to that book. I thought, yeah. But absolutely. writing, not, this is not this, video. This, this was video. writing. But most of TV is really, well, the TV well, I was doing is writing. Writing, you know, writing treatments, did, writing scripts. But you whatever. didn't want to do a travel show? I mean, you didn't... I wasn't presenting. I was I was behind the camera. And you I never could s- produce a travel show as well. I mean, you could... I could produce a travel show, but it was hard to get into that. And the travel shows that I would have liked to have done were of a far less commercial nature than right. the ones that, that, that okay. were out there. I didn't want to do kind of cruise ships around the Mediterranean and things like that. Mm. I was much more interested in the kind of quirks and details and, you know, the stuff of life. So the rough guide to Mexico, three months in Mexico, great. So I I took it up and it kind of went from there. I got magazine work, did a lot of photography and and, and kind of went on from there, really. Well, the books you wrote, um, how many books have you written? Written about 20 books. 20? 20 in total, yeah. Okay. But most of them are, are focused on Brazil and most of, uh, South America. Brazil, Belize, um, and bits Central. of Spain, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. What is it about that part of the world that interests you so much as opposed to, like, you could have done this in Europe or Asia or something? Well, my mother's maiden name is uh, Elizabeth Mary O'Keefe Cunahan. Now... I didn't realize that that meant anything. You know, growing up as a, a kind of white, middle-class English boy, middle-class <laughs> English boy. But then I came to realize that that means that my mother is actually, even though she never wasn't born in Ireland, an Irish woman. Right. And I don't know, I just felt there's something about the Irish which is a lot more emotional, a lot more kind of frank emotionally than a lot of, a lot of, a lot of the English background that I had experienced. And when I first went to Latin America... I encountered that too. There's a real openness and, and honesty about the emotions, which immediately struck a chord with me. Uh, and I learned a bit of Spanish and Portuguese, and I just felt completely comfortable and at home emotionally in, in Latin America. Is Catholicism the thread that runs through that? Do you think that maybe that they're tied together? I think with Catholicism, there's kind of family and community um, right. rather than kind of the Protestant work ethic and getting on. And I don't yeah. have anything against the Protestant work <laughs> ethic and getting on. But that family and community thing was perhaps something that was in my heart and lacking in my life. You know, that kind of sense of, I don't know, just human encounter which pervades Latin America. You know, time is less important than the meeting you have. And, and friendship is, is kind of the gel that consolidates everything, whether it's business or having a good time. I just loved that. And the romance and beauty of the landscapes and the people. And, and the women are really beautiful. Well, yeah, that too. <laughs> <laughs> I got to go with you on that one. So, but Brazil, that was, that's, I mean, it's so massive. And it's so to tackle Brazil as, as a country to write about, that's a big project. I mean, it's a huge country for, to Brazil, start with. Brazil's a continent. But yeah. I didn't tackle Brazil. Brazil tackled me. <laughs> you know, I was uh, I was brokenhearted and, and, and back in London after a long round-the-world trip thinking, oh, am I ever going to meet someone? That, you know, am, I, am I ever going to fall in love and is it ever going to work? Or is how it always ago, doomed to be How long ago are we talking? This was in, in the late 1990s. Okay. And I was in this pub with a friend of mine. He was so, well, he, he was so stoned that he said, he said <laughs> Alex, Alex, look. Man, I don't think he's now. Listen, a, man, he, I got the answers. He's now a professor of quantum mechanics no, at, a, a, at the University of London. But then he was very stoned, and he said to me, uh, <laughs> "Man, I don't think I could recognize a bus. Man, I've got to get on one and meet my girlfriend in the pub. Can you? Can you? Do you know what a bus looks like?" I said, 
okay, I know what a bus looks like. I'll help you get there. <laughs> so I got to this pub, and his girlfriend was there, and there's a whole bunch of people there. Yeah, kind of a crowded room. And I looked across this crowded room, and there was this ring of men around this just astonishingly beautiful woman. I don't think I've ever seen a woman as beautiful as that up to that point in my life. I haven't since. <laughs> and I just looked at her, and I thought, wow, who is she? Anyway, our eyes connected, and it was, it was electrifying. And I, I kind of wormed my way through to, to talk to her, and... We just completely connected in pidgin Spanish, even though it wasn't my first language or hers. I'm fell in love, and, and now we're married. And yeah. she's Brazilian. And she's Brazilian. And it what was, was she through, doing in London? She was there to learn English. She was a merchant oh, banker okay. from São Paulo who had been made redundant, and she came to England to, to learn English. And she was about to leave, and we met. And through her, I ended up moving to Brazil, and I completely fell in love with her, and I completely fell in love with Brazil. But it was like Brazil said, OK... Right. You're coming, and I and I went, and, and willingly so. Right. How long did it take you to pick up the language and to be conversational? Uh, it took a it took a good year and a half, two years, to, to get to the point where I could sit down and have a chat and just kind of yeah. be be comfortable. But you know, Brazil is a place where little English is spoken, and it is vast. I mean, it's if you don't include Alaska, it's bigger than the USA. Yeah. So it's oh, a it's continent. Huge. There's yeah. so much variety and diversity there. And, and, and I just, you know, I continue to be completely captivated by it. Well, people always talk about the crime. You know, that's, that's a big thing, especially around Rio and things when they want to visit. And I've been to Rio. And, yeah, it's like any big city. There's, there's parts of the city you don't go to. And if you have street smarts, you kind of know. But it is, you know, it does have a reputation. Yeah, and I know you have a story about... I do. Uh, you, you kind of and I'll tell you the, I, I tell you this story I tell you this story before you I tell you the story before, you know, I mean but yeah. it, these sorts of things can happen anywhere and, and, and <laughs> you know the Brits used to be terrified of going to New York right yeah, yeah anybody who, who who doesn't want to go to New York is, is, is you know they're missing out frankly and the same is true with Brazil yeah. so yeah I was I was kidnapped and it was a series you know the words of Lemony Snicket it was a series of unfortunate events <laughs> I left São Paulo. It was the day of the London bombings, so I was really worried about friends back home. We were living at São Paulo, in São Paulo at that point. Um, and I left early from the city to go and do an interview way out on the coast. You know, it's about a six-hour drive. And you go along this big freeway, and then you have to basically turn off the freeway down this snaking mountain road. You get down to the coast, and then it's a, a short distance to this little town. The town's called Parachi. Anyway, the road between the freeway and the coast is kind of a bit notorious as a place where, you know, you, you get, you get, uh, there's a potentially, yeah, you can get car checked. It's, 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 <laughs> yeah. it's a dangerous place. And it's not a place most tourists go, go at all. And I was desperate for a piss, basically, because I'd left late and I was whizzing down the road. So I no got out of the... Tenant, whizzing down the Whizzing road. down the road. No pun intended. And um, <laughs> so I got out of the car, had, had a piss in the bushes, and somehow, I still don't know how it happened to this day, but the car door closed and locked itself with the keys and the ignition and the engine running. Anyway, to cut a long story short, I flagged down for help. And these guys who were really nice, very affable, friendly guys, sure, they helped me get into the friendly. car. Well, at that point they were. And, 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 and I foolishly let slip where I was going. And about an hour later, after I'd, you know, they'd helped me get in the car and I'd gone on my way, um, their car passed me again on a very, very lonely stretch of road. And it was nighttime by then, pouring with rain. 
you know and you'd be lucky if you saw a car in 45 minutes driving along this stretch of road right so they knew it was a good place they overtook me got to this brow the brow of a hill um and they blocked the road off uh, i had to swerve around them they chased me for about 10 miles down this snaking mountain road kind of rainforest all around pouring with rain you know completely dark about 10 o'clock at night and anyway i pulled into this little mechanic sign after about 10 miles it was the edge of this tiny little village so i thought okay if there's a mechanic sign up there the mechanic is going to see someone's pulled into his drive he's going to come out and i'm okay you know these guys are not going to want witnesses to to to, right you know to a robbery but the guy didn't come out but the two bandits got out of their car with big guns you know kind of gun you see in cop shows I don't know the name of any guns I'm brilliant. <laughs> Big guns you see in cops. I don't either. So. One of them got in the car next to me, gun against my head, and the other one got back in their car and they drove me up this dirt road. And I was, you know, at that stage I was really, really calm. I, you know, the, the fear hadn't set in at all. They took all my stuff, my cameras, my computer, my hard drives, it all went. This dirt road, there was nothing, nothing for miles. All you could hear was the sound of the rain falling in the trees. Anyway, after they'd taken everything, the kind of honcho, the, 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 the older guy, uh, he said to his friend, okay, mato gringo, we came o carro, which means uh, kill the gringo and burn his car. Now, at that point, I don't know, it was like I, I, I drifted into another dimension. Everything seemed to slow down. The rain seemed to fall much more slowly. You could almost see it hitting the leaves. I could remember everything in a flash from my life. And I remember this one moment where I'd, I'd met this woman in, in Mexico and she'd show me this, well, what to me then was a very bizarre meditation technique, which is a rapid form of connecting with people, basically. And I also thought of my son, who was three years old, a tiny little boy, loved him with all my heart, as I still do. These two things came together in my mind. I just looked at the guy and I said... Do you want to leave my three-year-old boy without a daddy? Uh, and it really worked. He, he stopped, and then he just looked up to the sky, and he said, uh, God, be my witness. I'm going to let this gringo go free. And he said, walk up the road. Walk over that little hill there. So I walked up this dirt track. He said, don't come back for half an hour. He threw the keys to the car in the bushes. I did as he said. I walked up the dirt road over this little brow of a hill. And I got to the other side and I came out of that kind of weird trance state. And I thought, what the hell am I doing walking up the middle of this road? And I ran as fast as I could into the, into the rainforest, which was at the side of the road, and hid behind the trees. A couple of minutes later, they come bursting up the road in their car, headlights blazing. I, must, I don't know whether they changed their mind or what. They were looking for me, though looked around, couldn't find me, and sped off. And I'd escaped. <laughs> and you had nothing on you? You had no money or, or anything? At that stage, I had nothing at all. They took everything except... I had my, my little cell phone, crappy little cell phone. They didn't want that. And so how did you get out of that? I mean, Well, the cell phone, there was no signal there. So I had to run from there to the nearest... to the edge of the nearest town, which was this Parachi place. So I got there. It took me a, a couple of hours to get there because whenever the, a car came down the road, uh, I hid in the... In, in, basically, yeah, the sugar cane field, yeah. I thought it could be them. Eventually, I got to this little police post on the edge of this town. 
I got in there and I said, uh, you know, this is what's happened to me. I just got kidnapped and, um, you know, this guy tried, he was going to kill me, blah, blah, blah. And the policeman said, yeah, yeah, well, you're lucky he survived. It happens around here. I said, what? I said, yeah. <laughs> yeah you idiot gringo, what are you driving <laughs> yeah, Absolutely. Don't lock your keys in your car, you moron. But not just, yeah, well, precisely. Did they, uh, did they... What they do? Give you a lift back, or they gave me a lift to the to the hotel where I I was going to be staying that night. I got to reception at the hotel. I told them what had happened. They were really, I mean, Brazilians are incredibly friendly and warm. This guy immediately very friendly and warm and like said yeah we were we were hoping you were all right we, you know we we're expecting yeah. you he knew my first name and everything as soon as around. it was absolutely genuine and he said yeah well the same thing happened to me in Sao Paulo that's why I left he opened his shirt and there was a there was a bullet scar in his shoulder he said yeah well I I, I managed to escape but they shot me in the back as I did so oh mm-hmm. wow so but that incident happens and you still stayed in living there for a while right i love brazil and i still do love brazil and yes what made you go back to london well what made me go back to london is well there were several things firstly sao paulo was getting at that stage to be more expensive than london and that's because i find that hard to believe well in the uk there's free health care it's free health care there's free education for your child in sao paulo we have to fork out Nearly a thousand dollars a month for both health insurance, uh, and then the, on top of that, there's the condominium fee because you need to live in a kind of gated community, and then yeah. there's a condominium fee. Even even though we owned our property, we had to pay that. That was like four or five hundred dollars a month, and supermarket bills were more expensive than the UK because the food is is is, is cheap in the UK. Okay, rent, property is stupidly expensive, yeah. but, but food isn't. So it was more economical for us to move back to the UK. It would also give Raphael a better education. And we would be living... I, I, Sao Paulo, I love Brazil, I love Brazilians, but Sao Paulo is, I don't think, a very beautiful city to live in. It's very, very dense kind of high-rise, yeah. dense, and concrete. 20, and 25 million? 20 million, 20 million. That's in amazing. The, in, the, in the kind of metropolitan area. That's crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. So, so I'm gonna, if, if you live outside in the country, which is the beautiful bit uh, for me, and, you know, I mean, absolutely stunning, uh, you don't get access to good services. I'm going to tap point. your expertise here of uh, Central and South America. So for the people who want to travel and they're looking for a place to go, Say they have, they're coming from America and they have uh, two weeks. Where could they, where would you say, I mean, I know it depends on what they were into, if they want outdoorsy stuff or you want a city or something like that. But let's go with like outdoors, like activities. I think Belize is a great destination. Belize is cool. Because Belize, you've got great diving, you've got great kayaking, great fishing, you've also got trekking through the forests. You and they speak English, which is they speak easy. English. You've got great Mayan ruins, uh, no, and it's really beautiful. People are very friendly. I think it's a great destination, and it's less kind of uh, touristy than Costa Rica. I like Costa Rica, but Belize has got much more of its own identity, right, uh, especially right. outside Ambergris Key. Um, if you're a little bit more adventurous, I'd recommend Brazil. You need to speak a little bit of Portuguese, ideally, but Brazil is a terrific place, and there's a whole lot to do. What is a place? A vacation spot that you think is overrated as a vacation spot? 
Well, I think Bouzios in the state of Rio is overrated. <laughs> I went there. Yeah. <laughs> I went to Rio and Bouzios. It's kind of mock Mediterranean, but frankly, you'd be better off here in Croatia. For yeah, because that's the I real Mediterranean. Um, where else is Rio? I think. Are you bit, a big fan of Costa Rica? Or you... I think Costa Rica is a bit overrated. Um, I think Costa Rica, if you can get into the real Costa Rica and you can speak Spanish and be with the local people, I think it's a terrific place. But too much of Costa Rica is condos and, yeah. you know, the only Spanish you ever hear is in, is, 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 is the maids kind of making right. the beds. And, and I find that <laughs> a little bit kind of, I don't know, you can have that in the States. You know, it's a bit, it's lost its character a little bit. For like me, the one guy who, I've been to Brazil, but, you know, when people want to go to Brazil, they got one trip, they're going to go to Rio. Yeah. It's just, you know, it's the place we've heard about our whole lives and we want to see it. So after Rio... If I want to go back, I've always said I wanted to go north more and see well, that part you, of the country. Uh, Where should I go? Well, it depends how much time you got. But I would really recommend taking a few weeks and maybe starting off in Recife, which is Recife. That's how it's, Recife. How, how it's, how it's Recife. rumored. Recife is how it's R-E-C-I-F-E. And that's a terrific city. There's a really vibrant musical life there. It's, it's a big enough city to have a strong cultural scene. And just near it, you've got some incredible beaches and beautiful mm. places. There's this little colonial town next to it called Olinda, which is, you know, one of the most beautiful um, Portuguese colonial towns in Brazil. And from Recife, you can fly out to this island called Fernando de Noronha, which is, I think, the most beautiful island that I've ever been to, at least in the Atlantic Ocean. I mean, it's right up there with, I don't know, the Maldives or the Seychelles. Absolutely stunning. Beautiful virgin beaches, coral reef offshore, stunning mountain scenery. It's a tiny place, but really, really lovely. And from there, you can go along the coast, even all the way up to the mouth of the Amazon. You meet very few tourists, and the scenery is astonishing, and there's so much so much going on culturally as well. I'm going to play a fantasy thing here. If I give you a plane ticket to leave uh, next month, anywhere you want to go, where's the spot you pick? Anywhere in the world? Yeah. Hmm. Well, either Belém do Pará in Brazil, which okay. is, a, which is a, a city in the mouth of the Amazon, and ju- just opposite it is an island the size of Switzerland, which is just pure forest and beaches and just completely stunning, gorgeous. I love it there. Belém itself is an old Portuguese colonial city with amazing music, fantastic culture, gorgeous food, no tourists. Let's spell that. Belém? B-E-L-E-M. B-E-L-E-M, oh, B-E-L-E-M. yeah, and um, especially if you speak just a little bit of Portuguese, it's just an astonishing place. What I about also, a place you've never been? Like Kamchatka. I'd love to go to Kamchatka. It's a peninsula in Russia. And it's a peninsula that just sticks down into the kind of the very cold bit of the Pacific. Yeah. Up near the Aleutian Islands. But it's just a spine of fuming volcanoes and forest <laughs> filled with bears, indigenous villages. It's completely unspoilt, wild, and nobody ever goes there. I'd love to, I'd love to visit. So, yeah, you seem to seek out the places that are not too built up. Well, it's, it's interesting to see life as it is in itself. I love cities, too, and there are many cities. But I think it's difficult to say, I really want to go to that city. Because you only have stereotypes about it in your own mind and about the people. I think cities are places that you go to and then you get to know and love and you develop a relationship with. So I love New York, I love Cape Town, I love Rio, I love Sydney. But this is, that's more kind of like you meet, like a friend, you know, you meet meet them first time, (laughs) you find you've got common ground and then you 
you know, it grows from there. So I think it's a different thing. There are many cities I'd love to visit, but I'm sure I would fall in love with it. St. Petersburg, for instance, even Moscow. I was really um, amazed when you said you hadn't been to Japan. Ah, Japan. Yeah, Japan I'd love to go to. But my the only problem I have with going to Japan is that I find the whole Japanese... And the whole Japanese way of doing things, this this kind of relationship with the inner person, the outer person. I believe in Japanese it's called the omote and the ura. I find it totally fascinating because it kind of resonates with Englishness, but it's different. And I find the the whole, you know, the, the, the Kurosawa, the cinema, the literature fascinating too. So my only frustration with going to Japan is I don't speak any Japanese. I'd yeah, really love yeah. to go there speaking Japanese. But yeah, Japan, I I, I would love to spend a long time there it has a constant draw not just for me but for the whole family what about your most frightening run in with say uh, an authority figure a policeman uh, border patrol anything <laughs> border like that border patrol you, I know you've all you've all you know, you've been kidnapped already is there anything I remember that the, was with criminals anything the, the, with like government people the been? first time I went to South America again completely innocent and kind of green it was in 1992 and we had a return ticket to Caracas, from Caracas to Europe, mostly. So I flew into Caracas, and we had to fly back out of Caracas. And we worked our way all the way down the Andes and ended up in La Paz. And my friend, my friend Justin and I, we were in La Paz with 100 US dollars, and we had to get back to Caracas. 100 US dollars was not enough money, you know, it wasn't even a quarter of the money we needed for a flight. So the only alternative was, was to go over land. And we didn't have enough money to go back up the Andes, so we had to go through the middle. So it was like, okay, what does it say on the Lonely Planet about going from La Paz <laughs> to Caracas through the middle of the Amazon? Well, nothing. Hellish bus. Nothing. nothing. There was nothing written about it at all, except don't go to northern Bolivia because it's, it's um, gold mining territory and it's dangerous as hell, so don't go. But we had to go there, so we hitched... We hitched down through northern Bolivia and got to the Brazil border on petrol trucks, on river boats. It was an astonishing experience. But anyway, we got to the Brazil border and it was about, I don't know, late evening, beginning to get dark when we got into this tiny little town called Guajara Mirim. And this was in the days where it really was wild frontier country. It was the wild west of Brazil. We didn't know that at the time. We, 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 we got into this town. There were no foreigners there, no foreigners ever going through there. It was, it was you know, in the middle of nowhere. And I said in appallingly bad Spanish, you know, where's the border post? And they said, ah, por ahí, por ahí, up that way, up that way. So we followed where they were waving to, walked up this kind of little dirt street, and got to this little crossroads, asked again, where's the border post? That little house over there. Okay, well, that little house over there is a shack with one flickering electric light on <laughs> and a kind of shutter door open. So I walked gingerly up to it, and inside the window, there was no window pane, it was just a kind of open shutter, there was this fat guy with a moustache with a horse sitting on his lap, and um, I said again in extremely bad public school English, Spanish, oh, hello, um, I wonder if you could tell me if this is the, uh, the place where I we say, get our passport stamp. I say. And the guy just looked good at me. Man. <laughs> yeah, I say my good man. <laughs> he just looked at me, cocked his head and said, maybe. And I said, what do you mean, maybe? He said, maybe it is. Maybe it isn't. <laughs> <laughs> right, so I said, um, 
okay, well, can you show me your ID? So he pulled a gun out and said, here's my ID, now show me yours. (laughs) (laughs) I said, oh, God. I pulled out my passport. Thankfully, he then got out a stamp and stamped it, and it was the border post. But How much money did you have to give? We didn't have to give anything. Come on, really? to give nothing. Yeah. That's give amazing. Nothing. I thought that's what he he's ju- asking he, for. He just wanted to scare these gringos, you know. <laughs> and you made it through with the. We made it through. Made it through. Yeah. Wow. I had another friend who was uh, on the. It was about uh, a few years later. Well, this didn't happen to me, but he, he was a, uh, an African British guy, of Caribbean descent, who was travelling through Africa, and he was sick to death of being talked to in Swahili he kept going I'm not African I'm not African yeah. anyway he was um, on the border between Tanzania and Zimbabwe which was pretty bad at the time and this official said to him passport and he said passport please and very plumbing he got thrown in prison for two weeks <laughs> <laughs> they love getting getting uh, wisecracks they, they love smart answers um, oh, I had to bribe my way into Tanzania. I've forgotten about that one. <laughs> I just went through Tanzania. When was this? This was in 1988. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. It was a different Tanzania, I'm guessing. I got robbed in Cairo because I took an Air Egypt flight into Dar es Salaam. I got robbed in Cairo and some stuff was some trivial stuff, but one of the things that was always robbed, made, just like pickpocketed? Yeah, at the, at the pyramids. <laughs> at they, the pyramids? At the pyramids. They nicked my vaccination card. And so I had to get another one because to get into Tanzania at that, at that time, you needed a yellow fever vaccination right. certificate. Okay, so I got it. It was an Egyptian one, but it had World Health Authority stamped all mm-hmm. over. I got into Tanzania at the airport, and the guy said, I'm sorry, this won't do. This is an Egyptian vaccination card. And I said, yeah, but it's World Health Organization. I had, the, I had the thing. And he said, come into this room, please. I went into the room, and he said, okay, you give me a 1,000 shillings. <laughs> I gave him a 1,000 shillings. I was just walking out after giving him the money. And he said, sir. And I said, yes. And he said, please don't tell my boss. <laughs> what was the equivalent of a thousand shillings? In I don't know. It was about $10. It wasn't right. anything. It was just an irritation. <laughs> please don't tell my but boss. The please don't tell my boss. It was clear if I told his boss, he would have got the sack <laughs> and I got my money back. Right. But I didn't have the heart to do no, that. No, you, you're scot-free by then. you yeah, get, you got to take advantage. Yeah. Is there a country you you look back and say I would never go back to that country again? Mm. I would I would go back to most countries if I were paid to do so. But <laughs> I, I don't know. I wasn't that keen on Romania. I have to say I thought, I thought it was. I expected it to be kind of full of Latin spirit and verve and great things to see, but I don't know, maybe Latin I, spirit in Romania? Yeah, because I mean it's a Latin country. It's the it's the fourth Latin language, isn't it? It's, um, really? Italian, Portuguese, Spanish, and Romanian. It's a Romance language, isn't it? So you know, Agua is Apa, Brasso, Bras. You know, I just it just think I just think of the old Soviet Union. In yeah, well, it was the old Soviet Union, depressing architecture and, and so was where we were sitting people. right now. You know, yeah. that's but this is kind of more more vibrant. It is amazing. That there are places I wouldn't go back to. Escarcega in Mexico, which is just the pits of the earth. Uh, <laughs> it's kind of just a road junction. But countries, I don't know, it's hard to write off a whole country. Right. When you look back on all these places that you've been and, and, and what you do now, and we'll get to your thing, your your career, you can plug <laughs> in a minute. Um, what do you think all this has is, is taught you as, as a person and, and living, and now especially living by... 
I, I don't know. Do you split your time between London and Brazil? Yeah, London, and Brazil, and, and other places as well. What has it taught me? It's taught me that life is astonishing and an astonishing gift, you know. And being mugged, you know, and nearly losing my life taught me that even more. But it just reinforced something which traveling has taught me. You know, it's taken billions and billions of years for this hydrogen, oxygen, carbon and all that stuff to come together in me and be aware of itself as existent and notice, wow, fucking look at this. There's a gorgeous bay there. There are mountains. There's lightning flashing in the sky. I am alive. Isn't this a privilege? I mean, maybe there's a heaven. Maybe there's a life hereafter, but I am here now. And if I don't make the most of it, then what the hell is the point, you know? <laughs> yeah, I completely and totally agree. So tell the people where you can uh, find your books. Where they can okay. order them. Well, you can get you can get our books on Amazon.com for sure. I've heard of it. I've heard of Amazon.com. I've heard of it. You just if you put in Alex Robinson, Brazil, then our footprint Brazil guide will come up. Alex Robinson, Belize, you know, and so on. What about so, your pho- photography? Photography. I've got my website AlexRobinsonPhotography.co.uk, where you can see a kind of portfolio of my work, and I also sell myself through a company called AWL Images which is awl-images.com, and they go out through Getty and stuff. So if anyone, anybody wants to buy pictures, you can get them there. Aren't you also doing some films? I have a company called Tuesday Films, run with a friend of mine called Nadia, wonderful woman, and that's tuesdayfilms.co.uk. And what we really specialise in doing is, is kind of, because we have, we have kind of British documentary background, we, we like telling stories, whether it's the story of your company, the story of your family, whatever. We make short films that tell stories. At the moment, we're doing stuff for mobile phones, uh, and charities have commissioned us to make little films about, you know, kind of, this is what happened with your money, this is the person that you made a difference to, and they tell their little story, uh, and you can get it downloaded to your phone or see it on, through YouTube. Oh, great. So as the lightning increases and the winds seem to be changing here, I think we've got to wrap it up. Great. Before we well, get drenched. Yeah, hey, it was great meeting you this, this likewise, past week. Likewise, likewise. And so if I'm ever in uh, London, you're going to hook me up, right? Absolutely. Uh, and I'd Brazil. i to take you around. And Brazil. Every, and next time I go to Brazil, you are the man i got to call. And I hope that you... I know you don't live in Chicago now, but I'd <laughs> yeah. love to see Chicago through your I eyes. Can, I can you know? set you up there. Yeah. That's a good place. And L.A. too, but... Oh, yeah. Well, Chicago, just don't go in the winter. I won't go in the winter. Don't go in the winter. But other than that, it's a But I'm sure you could show me some Chicago and L.A. stories. And L.A. people and Chicago people. You've got a place to stay in L.A. That'd be great. Thanks very much. All right, that's Alex Robinson, everybody. Thanks for listening. Yeah.